welcome to 2022. You've heard that a few times, probably the last day and a half. <clears throat> and you don't do that, you don't enter the new year without hearing a lot of conversation about New Year's resolutions. Even in the grocery store, I hear people talking, oh, do you have New Year's, what's yours, and mine is? Well, if you go and look and say, okay, uh, internet, you know, what are the most popular New Year's resolutions? First one is dieting. And it's one of my resolutions, but like most years, come the Super Bowl in February is typically when that New Year's resolution ends. Or exercise, I think that's number two. Good thing to do, but hard to keep consistent. You see, <clears throat> we typically make a resolution on something that's hard for us, and it's hard for a reason. What I'd like to talk about today is something that also can be hard for us, and that's a consistency in prayer. So how about a New Year's resolution about growing, improving in your prayer consistency this year? As Christians, we all know that prayer is important, even necessary to the Christian life, but prayer is something. Is prayer something that you enjoy? If prayer is something you enjoy, consistency is not going to be a problem. But if prayer is hard, if prayer is something it's difficult to enjoy, consistency can be difficult. But the truth is, prayer is hard for most of us. And why is prayer so hard? A lot of reasons for that. But today I'd like to address one reason, one simple reason that I believe prayer can be difficult for us and prayer can be difficult to enjoy, and that's this, that prayer can be a lonely experience. In 1969, I graduated from high school. That year, a musical group called Three Dog Night recorded a song entitled One. It rose to number two in the charts for three weeks that year. But it was, didn't have a lot of content, I'll put it that way. Basically, it said, one is the loneliest number, repeated 15 times. Then one is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. Well, I'd like to use that illustration and fold it into prayer. In prayer, I believe one is the loneliest number. You see, it makes it hard to persevere in this discipline of prayer when it feels that if our prayers to be effective, it's up to us. We just need to persevere through. And the sense of feeling alone can be amplified by the way in which prayer is designed. We are talking and God is listening. Feeling alone when we pray can make it hard to be consistent. In prayer, one is the loneliest number. But church, when we look into the Bible, we see that we're not alone when we pray. Prayer is not a singles event like golf. Prayer is a team sport. Scripture tells us that when we pray, we are never alone. Because God is there. Now we can know God, we can realize that, but God can very much seem like a silent partner for us. The truth is, and we're going to look in God's Word and see, that God has an active and powerful role with us when we pray. 
In fact, the entire Trinity is involved with us when we pray and every time we pray. Seeing this truth about prayer can keep us growing in our prayer consistency this next year. So my goal for this morning is for us to see this truth. And this would be my main point, to see this, that God partners with us when we pray. God partners with us when we pray. So let's open our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We're we're going to be reading verses 26 through 28. So please follow along with me. Begins with likewise. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Let's pray together. Father, it's my privilege to open the Bible and to preach from your sacred word. Lord, a message about prayer, it's only appropriate and fitting and necessary to begin with prayer. Lord, I'm aware of my weaknesses. Father, and I ask your grace to be able to communicate the truth of God's word in an effective way. That you would be glorified and the truth of your word would be clearly communicated. And as a church, we would embrace your word. And that our prayer lives, our prayer consistency would grow. Father, I ask your help to communicate clearly. We thank you for your word. Father, it's in your name we give thanks and pray. Amen. Amen. I have three points this morning in the message. The first point is our partner in prayer, God the Holy Spirit. The second point is our confidence in prayer, God the Father. And third our representative in prayer, God the Son. So let's begin with that first point, our partner in prayer, God the Holy Spirit. Verse 26 begins with the word likewise, which is a reflection from Paul. He's looking back, he's referring back as he looks at this section, or writes this section, to what he's already communicated. In other words, if you look to verse 23, you see it says this, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. See, that word likewise is referring back to that verse, the groanings or deep expressions of a creation, along with all believers that are looking forward and longing for the restoration of the world, to its original created order. So as believers, we're we're living in the already but not yet. So 
a longing for all to be made right. We live with this future hope, waiting patiently for the return of Christ. So this, this is a groaning or inexpressible longing for the coming of Christ that Paul here is comparing to the groaning or inexpressible longing we have in our prayer. Paul uses this comparison to explain this longing that we have when we come to the Lord with requests and needs that are so important to us and so deep in our hearts that we can't find the right words to articulate these thoughts and desires to God. In fact, we sometimes have trouble even knowing how to express how important it is to us. Groaning is a good term for it. So he continues, likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. Paul begins with the Holy Spirit's help to us. And help here can be defined to take part with, assist in supporting, to lend a hand, to come to the aid of. This is genuine help is being referred to. This word is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that would be in the book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 40, in the story where Jesus and his disciples are hosted by Mary and Martha. And Mar Mar excuse me, Martha comes to Jesus and asks him to tell Mary to help me. So it's that same term, to help. Now Martha had a genuine burden that day, didn't she? She had hospitality for the disciples and other guests to take care of, and she was alone. So she was asking for help with that burden. Unfortunately, she was seeing the meal and not Jesus as the highest priority that day. But it's giving us some insight to what the Spirit does for us when we pray, helping us to see that we're not alone. You see, the Spirit partners with us. He helps us. But where does he help us? In our weakness. And when Paul speaks of weakness, he's referring to our burdens and addresses the inability for us to carry the heavy burdens of this world alone. You see, as a partner helps to lift your heavy burden, as Mary was asking for Jesus to ask, or Martha was asking Jesus to help Mary, tell Mary to help her, see, there's a burden there. Well, the, the scripture here is communicating to us a way that we can look at how the Spirit helps us with our burdens. You see, his help, it's similar to picking up and then carrying your burden with you. We all have burdens to carry. Your burden may be a medical diagnosis or financial hardship or the loss of a loved one or a relational strain. The burden is difficult. It's a trial. We feel challenged. The reality is the Holy Spirit helps us endure while carrying this burden and meets us in prayer. Notice that the help the Holy Spirit brings while we're experiencing our weakness is during our weakness, not delayed help. The Word says He helps us in our weakness. He doesn't always take it away, but He always carries it with us. Every burden that we come to the Lord in prayer, we're not alone. Charles Spurgeon says it well in the quote, 
from one of his messages that says this. Here then in the nick of time, as a very present help in time of trouble, comes in the Holy Spirit. He draws near to teach us how to pray. And in this way, he helps our infirmity, relieves our suffering, and enables us to bear the heavy burden without fainting under the load. The Spirit himself helps us. So that, let's look at that verse again. For we don't know how to pray as we ought, it continues there. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I believe we can all identify with Paul in saying that we don't know how to pray as we ought often. Especially when we're deeply burdened with some life event or challenging trial. How many times have we sat down to pray and after a few sentences we begin to draw a blank on what to say, how to express it. Our emotions are engaged, but how do we adequately express our need to God? It's easy to feel alone and ineffective in our prayer. So how does the Spirit help us? Carry our burden? Yeah, our weakness. But what does that look like? Well, let me give you an illustration my family have always been big soccer fans. Growing up, all four of our children played soccer, and now we're watching our grandchildren play soccer. It's one of our favorite things to do. And I was able to go and see my youngest grandson play soccer the other day, and he's five. At this age, they're being introduced to the game of soccer, and the rules are a bit different. For example, if the ball goes out of bounds, the parents just kick it back in and the kids just keep on playing. They're having a great time enjoying the sport for the first time. I was also impressed by the way the teams were coached. In all of my soccer experience, the coaches were relegated to the sidelines and called out to the players, giving directions, encouragement, critique. However, in this game, it was very different. The coaches weren't on the sidelines at all. They were on the field with the players, running alongside them, giving them moment-by-moment moment direction on where to run, when to kick, where to kick, and helping them to know how to play. They know how to run. They know how to kick most of the time. They know the goal is to get the ball into the opposing net, but they don't know much beyond that. The coach does. The coach knows how a team should work together. The coach knows strategy and rules. The coach knows how to score. The coach guides them by being with them on the field. If they fall, he picks them up. If they're out in the field, he's out there with them. They're not left to themselves to figure out the game. Let's see prayer in a similar way. When the scripture says in verse 26, for we do not, not know how to pray as we ought, just like these little soccer players, we have our coach on the field with us in the Holy Spirit. He is giving us direction. He is giving us encouragement when we pray. Our helper is not on the sidelines giving us direction from a distant place. He's in the game with us. He is with us when we pray. Every time we pray, He is there. Every time we're wondering what to say, 
He is there. Every time we search for the right words, He is there. He's on the field with us, directing us, taking our desires, our intentions, our groanings too deep for words, and interpreting them to our Father in heaven in our prayer and directing us to God's will for us. You see, like the soccer coach who knows the intention of his players and helps them to get there, the Holy Spirit knows our intentions, even if unspoken, and helps take them to the Father with us. He helps us to get there. Effective prayer. We are not alone. The Holy Spirit is partnered with us. And he helps us in our weakness, as we saw. And then it says he intercedes for us. That means to meet us. It's a work of petition. It's a work of an advocate. God brings his help to us in the form of an intercessor. The Holy Spirit is a prayer translator. When Rich preached this message, he referred to the Holy Spirit in this way. So we went through Romans. The Holy Spirit is a prayer translator for us. He's taking our burdens with us, helping us, and then communicating them to the Father with us in prayer. R.H. Mouse says this. He says, No passage of Scripture provides greater encouragement for prayer. Think about that. Have you ever thought of this section referring to prayer as a great encouragement? It should be, because it's helping us to see that in our prayer, where we're feeling ineffective, the Holy Spirit is helping us to be, in a, helping us to be effective. Where we can feel alone, we can know that we're not. He goes on to say, The Spirit comes to the aid of believers baffled by their perplexity of prayer and takes their concerns to God with an intensity far greater than we could ever imagine. Our groans become His as He intercedes on our behalf. You see, when your spouse or your friend can finish your sentences for you, that's someone who knows how you think, your intentions, that your needs, your wants, your desires, and how you process and think. Well, the Holy Spirit is so much more familiar with us than any friend or spouse could ever be. He can more than finish our sentences. He doesn't even need a sentence. He can interpret our deepest desires, our needs, our feelings that we have difficulty putting into words or even expressions. The Holy Spirit translates for us these inexpressible feelings into effective intercession to God the Father. Let me end this point with another illustration from Timothy Chester. It says this, When we are so perplexed that our prayers become confused, God makes sense of them. When pain obscures coherent thought, God interprets the heart. Then he uses this illustration. I occasionally help international students with the English of their assignments. One student had only recently learned English and her work was full of mistakes, sometimes making no sense at all. Nevertheless, I was able to take her intentions and turn them into a piece of reasonable, polished prose. In a similar way, our prayers are riddled with mistakes and lack good sense, but the Spirit takes and presents them as they should be 
before God. What a wonderful truth to see that the Holy Spirit is powerfully at work with us when we pray. So let's look at our second point. Our confidence in prayer. God the Father. So as we go to verse 27, we're going to see this. It says, He who searches the hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit. Who is the he referring to in this verse? He who searches the heart, that he is God the Father. He who searches our hearts, our hearts where our ambitions, our values, our motives are hidden, are the very source of the groaning for too deep for words that's being expressed. God the Father searches our hearts in order to reveal to us our own needs and desires. Why? So we can then bring them to God in prayer. Remember, it is God who chose prayer as our means of personal communication with Him. It says He knows what is the mind of the Spirit, or He knows what the Spirit's way of thinking. God the Father works in perfect union with God the Holy Spirit. The Spirit interprets our prayers, and the Heavenly Father completely understands the mind of the Spirit. Here we see God the Holy Spirit and God the Father actively involved partnering with us in our prayers. He knows us. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit. You see, you are not alone when you pray. Notice the activity of God, ensuring that our prayers are effective. And let's look at really what God has done to give us greater confidence when we pray. God's created this access to Him. And prayer is that access. If we look at Matthew 6, 8, it says this, For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. That's the heart of God. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 12, it says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and His ears are open to their prayer. We don't have to get God's attention. His eyes are on the righteous. That are those that are saved, the children of God. His eyes are on the righteous, and His ears open to their prayer. See His heart? You don't have to send an email. You don't have to hope your text gets through. You don't need to have Wi-Fi. You know that your father's, his eyes on the righteous, his ears open to their prayer. And then we see in Hebrews 4.16 this invitation that the father gives to each and every one of us. It says, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Do you hear the invitation? God the Spirit, God the Father at work. And then in verse 27, it says the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The saints here is a reference to every believer. The Holy Spirit is interceding with every believer when they pray. Prayer is the wonderful privilege of the believer. God is partnering with you to make your prayers, every prayer, effective and according to the will of God the Father. We don't know what the will of God is, but we know, but God knows the mind of the Spirit. God is participating with the Spirit to focus the intercession of the saints to be aligned with the will of God. 
Do we see prayer as the privilege that it is? Do we see that you're not alone when you pray? God partners with us to make our prayers effective. And then there's verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those that are called according to His purpose. It's hard to always see this good as we live our lives and during the trials and sufferings inherent in this world affecting all of us. It's hard when we don't see the answers to our prayers. It's hard when we don't feel a connection with God, when it just seems like the Lord must be in a different zip code. I don't know if you've ever felt like that in your prayers, but I have. You see, if we look and see how this verse is connected to the previous two, I believe that God is here in this verse, in verse 28, giving us additional support and additional encouragement for us to pray. Do we see each answer to prayer? No, we don't. Do we know the will of God in each situation we're faced with? No. Do we know when the very trial is going to end that we're lifting in prayer and the burdens be released that the Holy Spirit is helping us with? No. Do we know when the weaknesses that we have will become strengths, if ever? No. Do we know that God is using all of this, every burden, every trial, every weakness, to work together for good in our lives? Yes. You see, if through prayer we're expressing our dependence on God, and in prayer we're experiencing the Holy Spirit helping us with our burdens and trials, And God is giving us hope for those areas of prayer that seem to go unanswered. And those trials that seem to go on too long. And the weakness that seems to be too great in this verse. He's helping us to see beyond the natural world to the providential work of God on our behalf. Where he's genuinely and consistently working all things for our good and his divine purpose. You see, coming to him in prayer is drawing on the help that is offered by God the Holy Spirit. Coming to him in prayer is trusting God and not leaning on our own understanding as we walk out our trials. Coming to him in prayer with our burdens is taking advantage of the almighty sovereign power of God available to us to help us carry the load of life and to have strength to endure and hold up under our weakness. We're not alone when we pray. See, Romans 8.28 is designed to give us help, to help us to see prayer as a gift that it is. Because we can typically measure something by what we see. God's saying, don't do that. Knowing my word, I'm telling you, your prayer is effective. God, the Holy Spirit, is helping you. He's helping you in your weakness. He's interceding for you. And then I want you to see, I'm at work. With every prayer you pray, I'm at work. I know you don't see it. But for those that love the Lord, all things, 
Little word, three letters, but it includes everything. All things work together for good. You don't see it, but keep praying. Have faith. Know that this is true. See, coming to him in prayer with our burdens is taking advantage of the almighty sovereign God available to help us carry the load of life, to have strength to endure. 8.28, to live with God as our great shepherd. It helps us to do that even when it feels like this is a long walk through the valley of the shadow of death or to trust God as our great physician, even though we continue to suffer physically, to look to God and trust Him as our mighty counselor when we need wisdom. We need it now in an ever-changing world around us, to trust and look to our Prince of Peace when injustice seems to rule our society and press into our very lives, to seek Him as our refuge and our strength, the very present help in times of trouble. See, prayer is our avenue to experience this grace, this help, daily with our Father. We can be assured from this verse that if we love God, He's at work within every area of our lives to bring our good in prayer is the vehicle designed by God to communicate these things to God. See, do you see how verse 28 can help bring hope for us to continue to pray? When we don't see the answers to our prayers or see the change that we're asking for or feel God's presence with us when we're praying, the truth of this verse can keep us coming back in prayer as we see and respond to God's invitation to come to him. So as we look at the previous two points, we've seen how God the Holy Spirit is with us, partnering with us, helping us pray, helping us in our weakness, carrying our burdens, and interceding for us on our behalf. We've seen how God the Father has given us prayer and has granted us access to him in prayer and is working all things for our good. All of that is amazing. But there's more. God the Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, is involved when we pray as well. Our third point, our representative in prayer, God the Son. So let's look beyond our text this morning, down into verse 34. It says this, Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So we have an intercessor within, and we have an intercessor without. As Christians, we live in the already but not yet. Jesus has already secured our eternal home in heaven through his death and resurrection. But it is not yet our home. While we're here, Jesus is our representative before the Father from within the throne room itself. Jesus has gone before us and is working on our behalf, presenting our needs through his bringing continual intercession for each of us before the throne of God. Jesus being there is declaring complete victory over the curse of sin and death and as 
that has engulfed our world and our lives. When it says, who is at the right hand of God, it's evident that Christ is exalted to universal dominion. All power in heaven and on earth is given into his hands. Knowing this is true, what a great security it gives to the believer by his presence with God the Father. But with his presence there, what is being, what about us is being represented? What about us is being declared as truth when we see him there? When we see Jesus there, we know Jesus has won our pardon. We know that our sin has been canceled. We know that there is no more guilt, that there's no more punishment for my sin, that Jesus is a substitute, that he's atoned for all my sin, that I'm counted free. Jesus has secured the gift of the Holy Spirit for us. Jesus has risen from the dead, has granted this eternal life to us. He has made us the very children of God. His righteousness has been counted as our own for all time. You see, this picture of the finished work of Christ and his intercession for me in the throne room helps me when I pray. And here's why. It's because the enemy is declaring something very different to me. The enemy is constantly bringing to my mind a different review. A review of my failures. A review of my fears. My doubts. My inadequacies. My weakness. And my sense of being alone with it all. Knowing Christ is there with God in heaven representing me is showing the accuser and reminding me that I am a welcomed and invited child of God that I am unconditionally accepted by God, even though I don't feel acceptable or worthy at times when I come in prayer. Seeing him, the right hand of the throne of God, as the scripture says, is telling my accuser that my sins are completely forgiven, even though he reminds me of them often. When I start to pray, when I see Jesus there, I know that my guilt has been removed, even though I can feel guilty, feel regret, feel despair, and even feel defeated when I begin to pray. That's why Paul, God through Paul, as the author of our word, is helping us to see what's reality. Our vision is only limited. He's opening us, our eyes, to see what's happening. When we pray, prayer is difficult. Prayer is hard. It's hard to be consistent. It's hard to feel like it's effective. So this passage has helped us to see. Let me tell you what you don't see. God the Spirit is taking every request before the Father. God the Father is invited and listening to each and every one. Oh, by the way, you get discouraged, look at the throne. Look in the throne room. See who's there. Your representative. Our Lord and Savior is there. And that shows where you will be one day. 
there's a hymn that I think articulates this far better than I can that I'd like to read to you and have us look at before the throne of God above. It says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love. Whoever leads, lives, excuse me, and pleads for me. My name, your name is graven on his hands. My name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bids me then depart. The second verse. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see him there who made an end of all my sin. Because his sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. To look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb. My perfect spotless righteousness. The great unchangeable I am. The king of glory and of grace. One with himself. I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. You see, his presence before God and his representation of us to God is guaranteeing every biblical truth and promise. Romans 8.28, yep, it's yours. Feel tempted too great? How about 1 Corinthians 10, 13? No temptation shall overtake you. That's not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted more than you can bear. You feel alone? Lord says, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. You see, until we see him face to face, until we see him in that throne room, he's given us prayer. In prayer, he's given us a paraclete, a partner, God the Holy Spirit, to ensure we're never alone and that our prayers are effective until one day when we talk to him in person. That day, prayer will be no more. Until that day, let's pray. Let's see him there. Let's recognize the work of the Spirit in the invitation of our Lord. Let's stand together. Let's sing this hymn and express this truth to God as what we embrace as his children.